0: morning. Two things. I'm going to say them about 53 times, I think. God calls us to missions. Missions is insane. Turn to the person next to you and say, God calls us to missions. Missions is insane. Back up for a minute. Welcome to Missions Week. If you are on the missions team, would you raise your hand? There's more than that. If you're on the missions team, raise your hand. That's all this year to... All right, there's more than that. But it, take, take some time, please, uh, and find one of them after the service and tell them you appreciate them. The work that they do year in and year out, this is just one week. They spend time together all year helping us to think well about and practice missions, support missions. They do an awesome job with that. Thank them. Uh, ask them how you can support them as they support us. Go to them, uh, please. So as you probably already know, the banner over this week, this missions week, and this sermon is this, the insanity of missions. With a slogan like that, I owe you two definitions really quickly. One, missions. As we understand it, I'm going to give you sort of a technical definition and then the New Dave Translation. So here's the technical definition that the missions team has put together. Missions is crossing a significant cultural or language barrier to glorify God by calling others to follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. One more time, I'm going to say that again. Here's the sort of formal definition that we have. It is crossing a significant cultural or language barrier to glorify God by calling others to follow Jesus in the power of the Spirit. And here's the New Dave translation. It's partnering with God to spread his glory and salvation to the ends of the earth. Partnering with God to spread his glory and salvation to the ends of the earth. So that's what missions is. Now, here's the other definition I I owe you. Insanity. This is the American Heritage Dictionary. It says extreme foolishness or irrationality. All right. So the insanity of missions. Put those two things together. We, of course, do not mean to suggest that missions is actually an insane endeavor. We do mean to suggest, however, that apart from a biblical view of the world, missions appears insane, but it is nevertheless part of God's plan to be glorified in saving the world. So let's pray. Let's pray and then consider those two main points as a means of growing our glad-hearted, sacrificial missions' obedience. God, there's a lot here, and it begins with the fact that you are infinitely glorious. Under the sun, as Ecclesiastes say, missions is insane. But we live in a world that is not just under the sun. It's not even mainly under the sun. Please help us to see that on a horizontal perspective, we'll never engage in missions if we wait until it makes sense. But with a proper vertical perspective added to that, it's the only thing that makes sense. Under the sun, it's insane. Above the sun, it's the only rational thing we can do. Please help us to see that in increasing measure, both that your word calls us to this, that you command us to this through your word, and that it is crazy by, by every horizontal measure. I pray that you'd help us to see this ultimately in order that we would do better at seeing your glory, savoring your glory, and spreading your glory to the ends of the earth. That's what we're made for. That's why we're here. That's why we exist. And that's why we're here this week. Pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So again, two main points. Missions is a part of God's plan for spreading his glory and saving mankind from his sin. That's all number one. It's God's plan, part of God's plan for spreading his glory and saving us from our sin. And secondly, rightly understood, it appears insane, extremely foolish or irrational, both to the watching world and even to those within the church who have a deficient view of the word of God. So in order to help you see that both of those points aren't just the missions team's propaganda, but that they're both deeply rooted in God's word, I want to work through a number of passages for each. And so to that end, beginning with the idea of missions being God's plan to spread his glory and salvation to the world, I invite you to consider the three main ways that shows up in the word of God. Here are the three main ways that we see that first point in the many passages that God that speak of God's determination for his glory to go to every corner of the world. So We're going to see this in three ways. The first is in the many passages that describe God's determination for his glory to go to every corner of the earth. Second, in the many passages in which God explicitly commands his people to engage in missions. So start with the glory of God spreading throughout all. Second, the specific commands for his people to take part in that. And third, in the many passages that describe the actual work of the early church, which is missions work, largely. All right. First, first one first. God determined that the whole world would glorify him. We see this all over, all over in the Bible, including the Psalm that Matt just read. I'm going to read a portion of it again. This, this whole beginning of the sermon is just filled with passages from the Bible. In this point, most of all, listen to this grace. And here's the question I want rattling around in your brain. Thoughtful people pause at this until you can make sense of this. So, Some, probably many of you have already done that. If you haven't, today is the day to consider a God who is constantly demanding that his people praise him, that his people tell of his worthiness to be praised. And again, like C.S. Lewis helps us to see, if you don't get the weirdness of that, let me help you real quick. Look to the person on your left right now. Just take a look at them. What if all they did at Grace Church was walk around and say, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me? You'd think you're nuts, man or woman. That's crazy. Why would I do that? But that's what God does. He says, praise me, praise me, praise me, praise me. I'm going to read a bunch of passages that tell you that. And the question is, why is it different when God does that from us? You got to settle on that or missions will continue to be insane for you. So here are the passages. Psalm 8, one, O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name? And the key in all of these is where God means this to be known, okay? So, O oh, oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name? It doesn't say in a small pocket in Kansas, in a small town in, in Bangladesh. Listen to the, the place in which God means his glory to be known. O oh Lord, O oh Lord, how majestic is your name? Do you already know how it goes? In all the earth. Isaiah 6 3. There's this vision Isaiah gets of the glory of God, the holiness of God being revealed in this temple. And this group of created spiritual beings known as seraphim come together and together say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. In Wyoming, Minnesota, is filled with his glory. That's not what it says. <laughs> it doesn't say that. It says the whole earth is filled with his glory by his design and his determination. Psalm 67, one through seven, a few verses within that. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face to shine upon us. Why? That your way, God, may be known on the earth. Your saving power among all the nations, let the peoples, all of them, praise you, O God, let all the peoples praise you, let all the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you judge the peoples with equity and guide the nations upon the earth, all of them, let all the peoples praise you, let all the peoples praise you. the earth is the earth has yielded its increase, God, our God, shall bless us. God shall bless us, let the ends of the earth. Fear him. First Chronicles 16, 8 through 34. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known grace, church, his deeds with him among all peoples, it says. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Tell of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. And he is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and joy are in his place. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, all of them. All of you, all of us, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in, splendor, in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him. Who's supposed to do that? All the earth. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. Let the heavens be glad and all the earth rejoice. And let them say among all the nations, the Lord reigns. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the the field exalt and everything in it. Then shall the tree of the forest, the trees of the forest, sing for joy before the Lord. For he comes to judge the earth. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Another one. First Chronicles 29. Blessed are you, O Lord the God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness. This is missions. The greatness and power and glory and victory and majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted high as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you. You rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand... And in your hand, it is to make great and to give strength to all. The determination of God to be glorified in all the earth is not a subtle revelation of his in scripture. But guess what? Not just on earth. Psalm 19, one through four, the heavens declare the glories of God. The whole universe, God means to declare his glory. The skies above proclaim his handiwork. You with me, Grace Church? You you sensing a theme here? The glory of God will go forward from God into all the earth and all of creation. That's the main purpose of God. And he calls that to be our main purpose as well. That's the heart of missions right there. I included more passages on this first point and within this first point of the first point to help you see how prevalent it is in the Bible and because the rest of the sermon rests on this. If you don't settle on the fact that this is God's commitment, his primary commitment, nothing else will make sense. God will be glorified in all the earth. Here's something to write down. And missions is mainly God's means of including us in that. Let me say that again. That's the theme of this week. That's the heart of this week. This is what makes it insane under the sun. God will be glorified in all the earth, and missions is mainly God's means of including us in that. Indeed, it is only because God is determined to make his glory known among every tribe and tongue and people group that missions makes any sense at all. Grace, you will never grasp missions. You'll never even get it much less rightly engage in it, if you don't begin with the understanding that at the very heart of missions is God's determination to fill the universe with his praise. Likewise, you will never grasp missions, much less ever begin to rightly engage missions, if you're not first convinced that the glory of God is what the world needs most, what you need most, what I need most, and the only thing that truly satisfies Settle on this grace. Settle on it right now if you are ever to engage in missions or any aspect of life rightly. That's the first point. God is determined to spread his glory into all the earth. Second, God commanded his people to join him in that. (laughs) That's, That's where we're going this week is to remind you of both of these things. Missions, we see that missions is a part of God's plan to receive glory and saving the world. And he calls us to join him in that and spreading his saving glory, both in going for some of us, maybe many of us, and for supporting those who do for all of us. Let me, let me share with you from God's word, a few places we see both. God commands his people to spread his glory. Consider with me a few of the Bible's commands to engage in missions and going to the nations with the good news that God will be glorified in all the earth through Jesus Christ. Acts 13:47. For the Lord has commanded us saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Matthew 24:14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations and then the end will come. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen to 20, probably the one we're most familiar with. And Jesus came to the disciples and said to them, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you even to the end of the age. Acts 1.8, you will receive people of God power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the very ends of the earth. Romans 10, which we heard earlier, how then will they call on him who, in whom they have not believed? And how will they believe in him who have they, in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? Grace, the Bible is filled with passages commanding God's people to engage in the cause of world missions. On top of that, there's a number of commands to support those who go. So we see that God means us to partner with him in his determination to spread his glory through Jesus Christ to all the earth in the passages that describe God already doing that and the passages that command us to join him in doing that. And also in the passages that command us to support those who do. There are many of them in the New Testament, but the, the one that the missions team has tried to draw our draw us back to more and more is 3 John 5 through 7. Beloved, it is a faithful thing you do in all your efforts for these brothers, strangers as they are, who testified to your love before the church You will do well to send them on their way. This is the church that is staying, how we're commanded to interact with those who are going. You'll do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. The the glory of God that God is spreading through all the world and missions is our joining him in that. That's what it means to to send them out in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these, Grace. We ought to support people like these, that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We see that missions as a part of God's plan to save the world and the many passages that speak on God's determination for the whole world to glorify him and in the specific commands to engage in missions. Finally, we see it in the actions of the early church. I'm trying to convince you. I lost you. I'm trying to convince you that engaging in missions, as we defined it earlier, is the the privileged responsibility of all of God's people. So the, the last one is the way the early church functioned. There are many places we could look to find missions in the early church, but there are none that are easier to see than that of the missionary journeys of Paul. From the time of his conversion, he spent the majority of the rest of his life traveling the known world as a missionary, declaring the glory of God in Jesus. It is generally understood that Paul took three missionary journeys. The first, if you want to read this, this would be a great way to spend your week. Uh, the first is recorded in Acts 13 and 14. If you want to read it, his first missionary journey, it was the shortest. It lasted between two and three years. His second missionary journey lasted a, a bit longer, and three to four years, and covered a much, much broader uh, area of land in Europe and Asia. That's recorded in Acts 16 through 18. What was likely his third, or what was his third and likely his final missionary journey? He might have gone on a fourth, um, lasted longer still. It was four to five years, and it covered more ground still. Just do do the math. Uh, Somewhere between 12 and 13 years, Paul spent doing nothing but traveling to the unknown, or or to the places in the world that had not yet heard of Jesus. That's remarkable. We read about his third missionary journey in Acts 18 to 21. In many ways, he summed all of this up at the end of Romans. For I will not venture to speak anything except what Christ has accomplished through me, bringing the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God, so that from Jerusalem all the the way around to Lycurium, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and thus... I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. Again, Grace, this is the first, and the first main point is that missions is a part of God's plan. It's not an idea we came up with at Grace. It's not an idea that John Piper came up when he wrote, let the nations be glad. It's not an idea that someone on earth came up with. The first point for us to see if, to ever rightly engage in missions or lean into this week the way we ought is that missions is god 's design, it is a part of his plan to spread his glory and salvation throughout the world and I try to help you to see that in three ways in the Bible in the passage the passages that speak of god 's determination himself to be glorified in all the earth, in the clear New testament commands for his people to engage in missions, and third in the actions of the early church, and especially Paul. Well, that leads us to the second main point of this sermon. You're not truly considering missions, that which I just shared with you. You don't understand that. If you don't understand that it is God's command to join him in spreading his glory and salvation every corner of the earth, and you're not truly considering missions if you don't understand that it is insane. It is insane by every earthly standard. Missions is not rational according to any common sense measure. Grace, we need to be clear in the fact that missions doesn't make sense from a financial, safety, efficiency, family, church, or health perspective. It makes no sense from any of those perspectives. On top of all that, I want to dig a little deeper into the insanity of missions. Four things. You with me? I'm going to build one clause. I'm going to build on it three times. God has chosen to save people through faith in the gospel. That's the, the clause. I'm going to add two more to it. God has chosen to save people through faith in the gospel. How is missions insane? This is the beginning of that. It seems insane and in that it is the proclamation of a message that seems insane. <laughs> okay. What do I mean by that? It sounds a little sacrilegious almost, but Kyle already helped us to see this a little bit in his exhortation. Have you ever really stopped to think about how the gospel sounds? Have you ever slowed down enough to think through the main tenets of the gospel from the perspective of a normal person on earth? There is a God who is invisible, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, holy, and who created, ordered, and rules over all that has been made. None of you look too confused, which means you didn't understand what I just said. Let me say that again. There is a God who is invisible, eternal, omnipotent, omniscient, holy, and who created, ordered, and rules over all that he has made. For your information, that's insane, unless it isn't. (laughs) You know what I mean by that? It is crazy to talk that way unless it's true. And the whole world is filled with people who don't believe that's true, which means this sounds crazy. If missions is communicating the message of the gospel, it's insane because the message of the gospel sounds insane to people. But that's not it. If that were the whole gospel, that would be strange sounding enough. But this God made us to delight fully and forever in him. That sounds kind of crazy too, doesn't it? that there's a being who made us and ordered us and commands us and rules us and gave us the very purpose of delighting forever fully in him. Think about that. That doesn't make sense. That's, that's weird sounding, unless it isn't. But from the very first man and woman, we have rejected God as God. There is a being like this that exists who created us for this purpose And in spite of that, though, from the very beginning, we've rejected him as God and sought to be satisfied in the things that he has made rather than in him. This is sin. And the wages of sin is eternal death. It's kind of hard to get your head around. That sounds strange. Maybe a traffic ticket or a slap on the wrist, but eternal death? But God, being rich in mercy and and grace, sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to die as a substitute sacrifice. The wages of sin is death. God sent his only son to be that death for us, for every sinner who would receive him in faith, who would trust him as savior and surrender to him as Lord. Again, think about that. Get your head around that. Don't don't think that sounds normal because it doesn't. Really think about that. And to demonstrate the goodness and efficacy, the fact that it worked, Jesus' death on our behalf, to demonstrate the goodness and efficacy of his death on the cross, Jesus rose from the dead, sent his Holy Spirit to dwell in all who believe upon his name. That doesn't sound normal. There is some spirit living inside of us as we receive Jesus. That sounds kind of crazy. There's a lot of scary movies that involve some version of that. Grace, this does not sound normal, and you will not rightly appreciate the gospel, much less the God of the gospel, much less his command to spread the gospel, until you can settle on this. This is the message of the missionary, and this is insane, until by the power of God, it isn't. All right, so God has chosen to save. How How is missions crazy? First, it is the command to deliver a crazy message that God has chosen to save people through faith in the gospel. Well, if that weren't enough, if that weren't crazy seeming enough, missions is built upon the fact that God has chosen to bring this crazy plan of rescue to people through people. What do I mean by that? How's that crazy? It'd be one thing if God were to bring his gospel directly. To, so this, this news of salvation by grace alone through faith alone and Christ alone, this, this hard-to-wrap-your-head-around message, it'd be one thing if God were to himself bring that directly to people to accept or reject. That way we would know for sure, at least, they were hearing the truth of the gospel, and we would know that nothing could stop its spread. Instead, however, think about this, missions, Insane, sounding under the sun. Instead, however, God has chosen to deliver the greatest, most essential message in all of the world. Through weak, confused, scared, finite, fallen, limited people. We can and do get the message wrong. We can and are held up by logistics, finances, faithlessness, opposition, persecution, sickness, and a whole host of other things. Mission seems insane because of the message it is committed delivering by God's design and because of the method of delivery, us, by God's design. i want to add another clause. So I said God is, missions sounds insane because it is rooted in the fact that God has chosen to save people through faith in the gospel, preached by people, two people who don't understand or want us. <laughs> this is God's design. Again, all of this would seem crazy enough if when we took to this this message of the glory and salvation of God to a people, all of this would be crazy enough if when we did it, they knew by some miraculous work of God, perhaps, that they were dead in their sin, could understand our language, or we could understand theirs. And they wanted to know how to be reconciled to God. And they were just glad that we went through all this hardship to get there and to them. The very essence of missions, however, is that in general, none of those things would be true. <laughs> none of those things are true. Most of the time in missions, we're going to a people who do not believe they're enemies of God. It takes a long, long time to learn how to tell them that, which they don't want to hear, before we can tell them how they might be rescued. And oftentimes the response is indifference At best, just picture yourself going through everything it takes to leave family and friends and loved ones behind, to go to a part of the world that's hard, that you don't speak their language or know their customs. You've labored faithfully and prayerfully for years to do that and to get there. And finally, you're standing before this person you've been praying for, and your church has been praying for, and you tell them the gospel, and they look at you like you're a fool. (laughs) That's often the result for missions. Or worse yet, they Punch you in the nose. Or worse yet, they threaten your family. That's the nature of missions. That's God's design. Mission seems insane because of the message it is committed to delivering. And because of the method of delivery. And because of the way it's usually received. To rightly engage in missions, Grace, get this. We must begin by acknowledging that it will never make sense under the sun. If we try to figure out on an earthly figure it out on an earthly level, we'll never go. We'll always have an excuse. It's only because we have such a clear biblical set of commands and examples. Ultimately, it's only because we have a God who's greater than we could ever imagine that this works and makes sense. All right. Fourth. Nevertheless, This kind, all of this, all of this. How is missions? Insane. God chose to save a people through faith in the gospel. That's pretty crazy. Preached by people, fallen, sinful, broken people like us. That's pretty crazy. Two people who don't understand us and don't want to hear what we have to say. That's pretty crazy. But there's a fourth. As if all that weren't insane seeming enough. Through all of that, God is determined to pave the path of great joy. (laughs) Think about that. Just think about that. Come with me for a minute, Grace. I know that this is an unusual sermon, but come with me in this. Maybe, maybe, everything else we've covered, maybe you could get your head around it. Maybe, if we were called to obediently but regretfully engage in it, Okay, just think about all that. Okay, God, I, this seems crazy enough. I don't know really what to do with this, but you've told me to do it, so I don't really want to necessarily because I know what awaits me when I get on the field, but I'll do it. I'll do it. Maybe it would make sense to painfully leave goods and kindred behind, to frustratingly endure the long process of language and cultural ac- acquisition To grievously encounter people who don't care about the gospel that cost us so much to bring to them, or really do care in a very negative way. To soberly experience relational, the, the relational and spiritual isolation inevitably tied to missions, to unreached places. Perhaps, Grace, but probably not. We could make some measure of sense to endure those things in a quiet, sacrificial somberness, reluctantly persevering because it's the right thing to do. Grace, the Bible never claims missions make sense under the sun, but it does. It does insanely claim, claim that it is the path to great joy. Just listen. Acts five, forty to forty-two. When the Sadducees had called the apostles in, who were already spreading further and further out the good news of Jesus Christ. The Sadducees had arrested them for sharing the gospel. They beat them and charged them not to speak any longer of the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, these beaten, arrested disciples who were beginning to engage in the mission that Jesus had called them to. They left the presence of the council, just like I said, right? Grievously, painfully, soberly, dutifully. Do you know the passage? That's not what it says. Rejoicing. Rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching the name of Jesus Christ. Philippians 1, 20 to 21, while in prison for proclaiming the gospel, just like we said. For proclaiming the glory and salvation of God and Jesus, the apostle Paul declared, It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage now as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether in my life or in my death, for me to live as Christ and to die as gain. None of this is to say that every missionary is always happy or always happier than everyone else. It is to say, however, Grace Church, that another aspect of the insanity of missions is that none of the hardships baked into the missions cake can keep us from experiencing the supreme gladness that is found only in God. Indeed, counterintuitively, crazy sounding, missions is often the straightest path to that gladness. I want to close by giving you two quick examples and a small handful of things you might do with all of this. I want to give you two personal examples of how the the insanity of missions has shown up in my own life. The first was the very first experience with missions I ever had. I was a brand new Christian. I didn't know my Bible. I I had just put tabs on them in my Bible so that I could find the books of the Bible. I'd never read it. I didn't know anything about it really. I was just starting to learn it. I was still learning the gospel where it was found in the Bible. It had been shared with me less than a year or just over a year before and cut me deep to the heart. I believed it, found myself at a prayer meeting, which is weird enough in and of itself. I'd never done this before, and it was a long one, which seemed weird too. And they were sharing, whoever was leading it was sharing prayer requests, and they I don't remember any of the others, but one of them was, please pray that we'd have at least three guys who would go to the Middle East On a mission trip, because if we don't have three guys join the team that we already have, the trip is going to have to be canceled. I I still don't even know why. I have no idea why three guys would unlock a trip, but apparently it did. And I didn't think anything of it when they shared that. But as I began to pray, I was immediately surprised by the conviction that I had that I needed to go. It made no sense. It cost more money than I had. I barely knew the gospel myself. How am I going to go to the Middle East? to bring this news to someone who certainly wouldn't understand me and i had so much to learn i, I didn't even know how this was going to work i didn't have a passport it was coming up quickly college kids are supposed to go to fort lauderdale not to the middle east on spring break none of this made sense well doesn't need to make sense under the sun does it so i went in faith i went god brought the money in confused a bit it's kind of an adventure nervous, had no idea where this was going to go. The bulk of our time was spent handing out Bibles and trying to find people who spoke enough English to share the gospel with them on college campuses. In the middle of the week, we got taken, detained at a police station for doing this. They searched us, yelled at us in Turkish, didn't understand what they were saying, and then released us. It was pretty intimidating. Got released. A little while later, I thought, wow, that was pretty intense. I think that's like next level Christianity right there but felt discouraged because it didn't seem like anything was happening. We left no consciousness of anyone receiving the gospel in faith or even caring that we gave them a bible or told them about Jesus. It's a lot of money and a lot of time, it was confusing and fearful. Fast forward to that summer. A friend of mine went back for the whole summer, in the same area, shared the gospel with much the same results as I had expressed. To him, no one seemed to care. Came to a young man, however, who seemed to be tracking in a different way. Shared the gospel with this young man, who nodded his head enthusiastically at each point. Got to the end and said, "Are you ready to pray and trust Jesus as your Savior?" And to pray with me. And the young man said, "No." Great. <laughs> well, there goes that opportunity. He thought, and he just said, "You mind tell me why? Why is that? You seem to be with me in this." And he said, "Well, I am." But I already did that, and it's my understanding I don't need to do that again. (laughs) He said, okay, it gets better. He said, okay, well, that's kind of (laughs) unusual. I've shared the gospel with a number of people around here. No one even seems to really know it, much less believe in it. How did you come to believe in it? Well, uh, somebody handed a Bible to a friend of mine quite some time ago. He took it to be polite but didn't want to have anything to do with it, so he just gave it to me. So I read it, and now I believe in Jesus. It shouldn't work like that. That's insane. I got another one, one more. This was one of my most recent ones with a ministry called TLI. We go to train pastors on how to understand, teach, and preach the Bible. It's what Matt is raising support or is raised support and is going to go to Ethiopia with, Lord willing. They only go to places, parts of the world that do not already have access to training. they have access in some meaningful way. We don't, we don't go there. TLI doesn't go there. So in other words, we go to hard places. On a practical level, it means that we're going to people with very, very little understanding of what the Bible says and how to teach it to others. You can probably imagine that much of what we have to do is undo false ideas of what the Bible teaches before we can help them to rightly understand it. So in, in Africa, I was teaching a group of pastors. And one of the ways that TLI's curriculum is designed to help them appreciate the need to undo some stuff before they can redo it is they give them a list of common passages that are used out of context. A, a classic example is, behold, I stand at the door of your heart and knock. Anyone hears my voice? And the question is, have any of you ever used this in an evangelistic sermon? And it's a It's in a letter to a group of Christians. It's not an evangelistic passage. And all the pastors sort of sheepishly raise their hand, yes, and went through four or five of these through a translator or an interpreter. Can't tell really if they're getting it or not. You can tell on some level they're feeling convicted, but do they care? Are we insulting them? I, I don't know how this is landing. It's the very first course for these guys. Well, about four or five examples deep, one of them raises his hand and says, I can see plainly that we've mishandled the word of God. Does this mean that we need to go back and repent before our churches? That shouldn't happen. That is a work of God through the spirit to convict these people through some weird looking dude like me who looks nothing like them, who knows nothing about their culture or situation, who in no way is trying to insult them because I know they're doing the best that they can with what they have, but somehow the spirit cut through all of that to convict them of their sin. And I was able to say, yes, you you do. You are responsible for the way you handle the word, but the blood of Jesus is more than sufficient. That sin is washed away already. Go back, lean in further to this, and then go back and teach your people with a new sense of the glory of God through Jesus Christ. That, That shouldn't work like that. It shouldn't. It doesn't always work like that. But here's those two examples of how the insanity of missions, how God uses that to accomplish his purposes. So the main thing I hope you're able to see in all of this is the simple fact that no one who engages in missions does so because it makes sense, (laughs) because it should work, because it promises to be fun. It doesn't make sense. It shouldn't work, and it'll probably be a burden in most ways. We engage in missions then as insane as it seems to be because God has called us to, because he is worthy, and because he brings us inexplicable joy through it in life to the nations. So here, here's a, what do you do with this? Okay, you're thinking, okay, Pastor Dave, you sort of convinced me. Missions is part of God's plan to spread his glory and salvation to the whole Worlds, and it's crazy sounding under the sun. It only makes sense because God is greater than we could ever imagine, and this is his plan for us. So what do we do with this? Just pick one of these. Just grab one and hang on to it this week. Go after it. Here, here's the first possibility. Pray. Pray. Pray that God would convince you of the Bible's teaching on the glory of God and on missions. Just pray. Pray. Pray and ask God to convince you of that. You'll never engage as fully as God means you to if you're not convinced that he's this great and this is what he calls you to. So if you were to spend this week just praying that, it would be a week well spent. Second, another idea. Pray that God would fill you with an appropriate sense of love for the nations. Sadness for the fact that there are so many who have never heard of Jesus. Urgency to obey however God would have you and confidence in God's unstoppable sovereign grace. So pray, pray for your own heart to be filled with the reality that missions presents us with. Third, carefully consider how you might more fully engage in raising up or training missionaries within our church here. Perhaps you could join the missions team. Perhaps you could take someone through the missions track that we have at Grace Church. Perhaps you could lead a group of young adults, commit to doing that, to the cross conference or the immersion experience that the missions team has put before us in Minneapolis. But think of some way to contribute to the raising up or training of the mission, of future missionaries at Grace Church. Number four, carefully consider, just pick one of these, any of these, carefully consider how you might more fully engage in supporting the missionaries we've already sent. Commit to signing up for and prayerfully reading, prayerfully, prayerfully, prayerfully reading the newsletter of the mission, missionaries your DG is partnered with. Commit to reaching out to each of them weekly or monthly to tell them you're praying for them and ask them how else you might or what they need or how you could support them personally. Commit to financially supporting one of our missionaries or raising your level of support if you already do. Number five, just a couple more. Consider carefully whether you might be called by God to pursue life as a missionary, being sent. If you sense any level of call, any burden at all, that maybe, just maybe, God means you to go to the nations, connect right away with your DG leader or one of the missions team members. Let them help you work through that call and what it might look like at Grace. Connect with one of our missionaries. Let our our missions team help you to connect with one of our missionaries and go there. Spend some time there. Get a sense of what missions is like, where they are, and perhaps whether or not you should join them or something like that. Two more. Number six, participate as fully as possible this week in missions week. The missions team has worked hard to to put us in places where we can understand what missions is better and how to do it. Help us to see the greatness of God. Lean fully into missions week. Number seven, lastly, Praise God for being worthy of the insanity of missions. <laughs> Spend this week praising God who makes missions make sense because of who He is. So, our hope in sharing all of this grace and in putting all uh, on Missions Week is not that you'd feel guilty. You're already not doing enough. And here's one more thing to pile on your back. That's not our hope. There's probably, for many of us, an important measure of conviction that we ought to feel if we're not engaged in missions. We should respond to that in faith, but, our main, but not even that is our main point this week. Not, that's not our main aim either. Our main aim, rather, is to help you see that God is greater than you ever imagined. As we come to increasingly recognize and appreciate that, we're not going to be able to help but to tell people about Jesus here and everywhere. We'll be unable not to share with our neighbors and those to the furthest corners of the world. And all of that for the glory of God. In light of our salvation in Jesus and through the power of the Holy Spirit.